Hello everybody and welcome to another episode. In this episode we're going to talk about open source business models. I'm Mark Clark, I'm from South Africa where I work for an open source solutions company and we basically develop um, customized solutions for our various customers' needs and requirements. Um, I'm joined today by Darlene Parker from Canada. Hi Darlene, how are you? I'm very well Mark, thanks for having me today. So I work for a company as well that works with Linux-based solutions and uh, here in Canada, but we have a clientele around the globe. And I found that this, this topic today was particularly interesting to me because we straddle the fence on both sides of this topic. And uh, so, yeah, let's see what we can share with our listeners today, Mark. I think we should uh, begin by first saying that, you know, this more is a, is a podcast designed to get debate going and to get uh, people thinking about these kind of topics. I don't know what the answers are for them. I've got some thoughts around it, and it's in a state of flux. So when I get new information, it gets modified and changed. Because I think you know, how to make money out of open source or how to run a business that's based on open source is something which a lot of people uh, in the world are struggling with. Um, you know, from whether they large commercial companies that are on a closed source model and they're considering open source, or whether you're a company like like one I work for here in South Africa, we already use open source, and you basically you're selling services on top of that. I think we should just begin by um, defining what what is what we mean by open source. Um, okay, because you can have open source code, um, but still have a proprietary closed source model, where no one can contribute back. You know, kind of like the, the Microsoft shared source model. So what we mean by open source is basically the definitions that's been defined by the Open Source Initiative. Um, you know, it's very similar to the to the definition in the GNU Public License by Richard Stallman. And essentially, that means that the software's source code is freely available. People are free to use it. They're free to modify it. And if anybody modifies it and distributes it, then they must distribute the modified source code along with it. I know there's a bit of a philosophical difference between uh, Richard Stallman and the Open Source Initiative about open source because Richard Stallman has a social aspect, you know, he sees a social aspect which I can also identify with, to open source software in the sense of contributing to, to the development of um, technologies and economies and basically you know, um, making life in general better for humanity. And whereas the Open Source Initiative, uh, some people can't describe it as more of a a software development model rather than sort of a philosophical um, model with, with social aspects to it. I don't know whether you have anything to, to add to that definition or clarification points there, Darlene. Well, I, I think that uh, as we move through the the, uh, the open source models, like, so it, I think it is both, Mark. Like you talked about, you know, being software production, producing a software product in the end that everybody can contribute to. But on the other hand, as I work with countries around the world, the adoption of open source has opened up the window or bridged that digital divide for so many people that previously couldn't. Like even with the use of, you know, pirated Microsoft licensing and all of this, it still was a barrier to entry for so many people. So I believe that there is still a social aspect to, to what we do in the open source community. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And that's what I think attracts most people to open source or open source hackers, you know, get attracted by this whole idea of the you know, contributing to something bigger than yourselves, and um, and basically enabling the development and, and betterment of a whole economies. I mean, the world in general. Uh, you know, one of the and the aspects of of open source that that this kind of addresses is very similar to the way PCs or the PC industry developed. If you look at IBM, for example, when they produced the PC, they could have kept it closed, but what they did is open the specifications, and as a result, today we have a whole 
you know, ecosystem around um, supporting PCs and the open standards around PCs. So you don't have a manufacturer somewhere in Taiwan saying, look, I'm going to produce the motherboard with this new bus architecture and only my you know, peripheral devices are running on this bus and no one else can use it. You know, everybody gets together, they decide on a new standard for the bus architecture and everybody's free to develop um, hardware peripherals or components to run on those buses. And that's a very similar kind of approach that open source takes. If you took a, a more closed source of approach approach to it, you would be in a situation like the cell phone market is today, where it's just fragmented. There's so many different platforms. There's no consistency between the between them all that they actually fail to realise all the benefits that you know that the mobile cell phone market could actually have. You know, you always keep on reading these predictions about how the you know if you had the killer app on the cell phones, how it would um, take over the world and how it can change the lives of people in rural areas, etc. and that kind of stuff. But the reality is, because mm-hmm. it's so fragmented and it's not based on a kind of open standard and a cooperative uh, approach to it, and it's very proprietary, it, it just doesn't de- just, just doesn't deliver those promised benefits. And that's what I think is, you know, really is a social aspect for me around um, around open source development. And and it's a very compelling argument, um, you know, just to consider the sort of so as they call it the philanthropic side of the whole thing, you know. And it's right. just how how you build a business model on top of that. Right. It's like I know for me, I think the benefits, the other benefits is um, with open source. And like I say, I, I have a mixed approach to this topic today. But is that whether I'm talking to someone who's trying to add an indigenous language in Bolivia or trying to put together an educational program in Pakistan, because of course the, the code is so open, like they, can, they can modify it to, the, to their particular needs and uh, engage those young bright minds to help them uh, come to a solution. So I think that's the other the other side of, of open source that I particularly like. Look, I've probably done a hatchet job on the definition of, of open source here. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, advocates out there of open source who are probably be shouting into their into the headphones now. <laughs> but uh, I think you know that's just a, a working definition. I, I don't claim to be an expert or, or, or a lawyer in trying to define it. But that's how I understand it. And I think to a large degree, you know, what I'm saying, most people will kind of follow um, along with that kind of definition around around open source. Uh, would you agree with that, Darlene? Or? No, I, I agree with your, you know, that's just an overview. And like you mm-hmm. said earlier, that's just our point of view. And yes, people can have different interpretations and we can go a lot deeper into the layers. But I think in general, when you mention open source to someone, the definition that you provided, Mark, is a pretty well understood one. And I just want to say, look, I mean, in this podcast, we're not trying to argue that open source is not a good way of developing things. We definitely feel it's a much better development model than the closed source or proprietary way of developing software. I mean, definitely open source results in better quality software, you know, because much more user interaction and user involvement in the whole development process, and it results in sort of quicker development of your products and of better software. So just to sort of let people know that, you know, we're not trying to, if we say something which sounds negative, it's, not, it's within the context of trying to better further understanding open source and how to, and how to use it in, in the business context rather than sort of trying to compare it to the closed source model, which we just dismiss out of hand. Right. The basic question is how do you make money on an open source product? Because here in North America, you know, we have a very profit-driven philosophies here. And, you know, when I discuss this with, 
if people who maybe aren't even in open source, like totally removed, it's business people in general. The answer, you know, the question and answer is basically: if I gave you a free product, then then what? Then how do I how do I compensate myself for my development time? How do I compensate myself for the? How do I get the mar the product out there? I have to put it on a website somewhere. Who pays for the website? Who pays for the services? Who pays? How do I get it started? And then I think today we're going to talk about. You know, maybe the, the the stuff that comes around that product. You know, <clears throat> what do you yeah. think of that, Mark? Yeah, look, I agree with you. Unfortunately, the current system in which we live, um, the only motive is a profit motive, and that's how things are. You know, that's the rules of the game um, that we play. And I do agree there are other aspects that people should probably consider and be part of the the whole plan, the, the whole um, goals of a business. Um, but you know, that's a, another debate. <laughs> but um, no, given right. the, the current sort of game plan, you know, it, it is a problem if you you know, how do you actually make money out of out of an open source product? Okay, and I think this is the core yeah. of the the topic that you want to discuss, as you said. You know, and I think there's a, there are a couple of models out there, and the most typical model that people bring up when you mention open source is, oh well, you open source the product, and then you sell training, consulting, and or support on top of that. Okay, and that seems like a very you know a lot of guys get excited, say, oh that makes a whole lot of sense. If you're a small company sitting somewhere, you know, like let's say you guys in Alberta, Canada, you release a product, you want to get it big market share and you want to start um, selling service on top of it, one of the easiest way to do it is to open source it. And then a lot of people around the world will start using it and trading up on their product. And obviously one of the benefits from that is that people then start looking for support when they hit issues which they can't solve themselves or, or training. And I think most people sort of stop and leave that, that business model um, at that point. You know, but I, I would go so far as saying there's very few companies that just use that, that approach to to making money out of open source and the open source um, development model. Well, I think, uh, Mark, that they also, the, the I think they have a staggered approach, like a dual approach to it, where they give us a, a free open source product that we can get used to and, and, and work with. And then all of a sudden we say, hey, you know, that's a good product, but I'm going to bring it into a bigger enterprise. And then you'll look at the enterprise version of their product and, and perhaps pay for that. Because they've already got us liking it. They've got our mind share on the product. It was like VirtualBox or... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if Asterix has a higher level that you can buy as well. But, you know, I started working with VirtualBox, and I really like it. And I know they have different levels of, you know, I can buy a, a full version per se. You know, the different approaches to use it to open source in your business is how you use it. So some companies, for example, use open source merely to sell other products that they have. Okay. So essentially, it, it's like a, it's making it easier to sell the existing product. And I think those are the most successful open source companies around today. And if you look at them, they're all the big players. And they typically proprietary vendors that are, that are using um, open source in some way. So, for example, like Linux and IBM. I'm not Linux, so it's like Oracle and IBM. So, Oracle, for example, IBM, they're only interested in supporting Linux because it makes it easier for them to sell their database products on top of it. Uh, you're not going to find IBM or Oracle, for example, open sourcing their database products because that's where, where they make their money. And I think that's quite an easy business model to understand. If you had to explain that to a business person, they would get it and understand it. I mean, just like, um, you know, people sort of sell, they'll, they'll, let, they'll give the premise stoves away for free in the third world countries. But then, of course, the people that have the premise stoves need to come and buy the gas or the paraffin to run those stoves from you. So, you know, you're making money out of selling, out of selling the, the fuel to, to run it. So it's a very similar thing that, that a lot of these large corporates are doing. Um, you know, then another approach, the one you're talking about, is where, is where basically the software that you're open sourcing is core to your business. It's where you really make your money. Okay, a good example of that are like Asterix that you mentioned, um, MySQL, or even Red Hat, for example. 
Yeah, and I think there, that is where you start finding it. There's a lot of different models around around how you make money out of open source. So Asterix, for example, makes money from selling the the hardware um, components. On top of that, and for example, a lot of other companies will make money by by selling dual licenses. So they have an open source license. And there's no difference between the open source and the closed source product. But if you want to sort of use it in a commercial product, you don't want to have to release your commercial product as an open source project. Then you would buy a license from from the providers. So I mean I know um cute the guys from the, the the widget set that's used in KDE um they had a model like that until recently and I think that that works quite well because um you know what you're basically saying is you're allowing all the people all the developers um throughout the world to use your product to get skilled up in it which then provides it support for your your product in commercial environments so they'll know there's a whole bunch of developers out there that are really not to use this product and that kind of thing. And of course, the the, the right. last one is this this sort of light commercial version that you talk about. Personally, I don't like that model because it's sort of like a how can you call it? Almost like a bait and switch, or you know, you you, you hook the guy in, and then sooner or later you're forced to um, to move up to the to the commercial version. But I know that is quite widely supported by a lot of um, open source projects, such as Indian Firewall. Yeah, and I can't remember some other products, but definitely Indian Firewall uses that that approach to to its product. Right, and I personally believe that the value of the software lies in the value-added services that go around it. Let's go back to Asterix. Mm -hmm. So we talk about Asterix. So some guy wants to download a free version of Asterix, but he needs somebody to help him integrate it into his system and get his phone lines all working and all his voicemails. And, and that's where people like yourself come in who can do those kind of services for them and then teach their staff how to you know add those extra extensions and so on afterwards. But, you know... So when we were talking about, you know, giving out that little bit of tantalizer at the beginning, it's like a lost leader where you give away some open source product and then position them to come in and buy your closed source. I know that my company does that in a, in a indirect way and in that we give away a free two-user license that you can use, uh, you know, to test it. You can use it at home. You can uh, try it out. But if you need any more than, new, than two stations their product and you have to contact us for you know to, to purchase the code you know I, I'd agree I think if I look at the the sort of ones where the software is core to, to the business you know there's very few open source companies that are successful in this field of art somehow restricting access to certain aspects of of their product you know if you look at companies where the commercial version or not the, the supported version where just sold pure support on top of it was it, and the, the version that people could download and use is exactly the same as the version that the enterprise would use, for example, like MySQL. You know, basically they couldn't make money out of it. Um, and MySQL eventually got bought by Sun. You know, Sun also sort of appears to fail to have made money out of open source because they got bought out recently by Oracle. So I think a lot of these companies that they're trying to have a pure open source, although it's very admirable, you know, they're trying to have a pure open source approach with the entire code base is open, do do end up with problems. I mean, if you take Asterix, for example, and this is one distinction I want to draw, Asterix and the kind of business model that, that we're in, um, it's great for us because I can make money out of selling servers on top of Asterix. But how does Asterix or Digim, the company that's responsible for Asterix, make money out of it? And that's that's the difficult part because, you know, currently mm -hmm. they're making out of hardware. But, I mean, the hardware is also sort of open, so you find a whole lot of guys in China now are manufacturing hardware that's compatible with Asterix and they can use in your Asterix boxes and stuff. And that's going to eat into Asterix's revenue. So those guys have, you know, have a hard time sort of making money on it unless there's something behind it. You know, one of the things that people tend to do, they tend to set up these like partnership or reseller programs because there's definitely the larger businesses do like to know that they've got some corporate that they can hold responsible 
if the you know, application doesn't doesn't work properly. And so you find a lot of these guys, for example, that's what Red Hat model is based on, you know, where they'll buy support from Red Hat or from Asterix directly. But, you know, all that requires is some bigger competitor or somebody that's also well established in the business um, to come and also offer the same services. I mean, we've seen that happen with, with, with Red Hat, for example. So now we've got old um, Oracle offering support for Red Hat. Yeah, and that upset Red Hat a lot. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's not much, you know, Red Hat can do about it. They might say nasty things about Oracle, but that is one of the, the problems with the, with the open source model, if it's completely open sourced. You know, and uh, I think Red Hat, a lot of guys will see as one of the most successful, and they are one of the most successful sort of open source vendors out there. But they definitely have a, a they don't provide the entire open, the entire stack, as it were, to an open source model. So what you find, like Fedora, I mean, Fedora mm-hmm. essentially is the experimental version of their product. So they're using the open source community to get some value back to Red Hat by providing basically beta testers. I, I know a lot of guys go and they deploy Fedora on their servers. Why? I do not know because it's unstable. But, you know, a lot of people do that. And they provide valuable feedback um, to Red Hat to enhance the the enterprise product. And even within the enterprise product, although you can use CentOS, there are components which you know, like management components and tools and stuff, which, they have, which aren't open source. They do tend to open source them over time, but, you know, they keep a lot back so that uh, there's some value, for example, for corporate to go and, and buy services from Red Hat. I think that that's what's key. You know, if I look across the, the open source business out and the successful ones, what is key to this success is that something of value has to be held back to make the customer come through um, and buy support from you. Because if you're just providing support that anybody else can provide, you know, there's a danger that it's very easy for a competitor to come into your space and sort of eat your lunch. Right. And back to what you said about, you know, people trying Fedora and it's kind of that front leader and then they'll they'll upgrade from there. I feel that once you start down the Linux path, you tend to stay with one or two distros that you really know well and then look at products that work around those because you do you kind of get a loyalty, a little mind share happening there. And, uh, like, you know, and... We talked briefly about Photoshop at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, if they gave away Photoshop, if they gave away all the code, what value would Photoshop have? Like for me, the tutorials and all the the brushes and stuff that come with it, Photoshop isn't the value. It's it's the core of the program. But on the other hand, in the industry, graphic design industry, it's kind of the thought is you know there's a lot of pirated versions of Adobe out there, and Adobe's not been has. Um, strict to say windows to validate your licenses but then some people say you know it's because people get trained up on 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 the adobe photoshop and stuff and then when they're students or when they're learning they go into their business environment what do you think they're going to encourage them to buy with the full suite of of, uh, adobe products look i mean the thing i suppose photoshop is one of the classic cases we can use as to where open source models will not work you know as far as i can tell because everybody always you know one of the big things that people say when you ask them about why aren't they switching to linux desktops it'll be oh because you know photoshop isn't open source and the people always say why doesn't adobe open source photoshop but as you say i think if the open source photoshop there's no compelling reason for people to come through to to adobe and buy services Sure, I understand what you're saying about it, training up people using the product so when they get to, to the work environment, they're really trained and that's a product they'll ask for. But if Adobe took the approach to say, okay, it's completely open source and free, I mean, basically their revenue their revenue would just um, dry up overnight. Yeah, and then would they continue to develop new versions and stuff if they had no revenue? How would they pay for that? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, so I was saying something has to be kept back. And what they could potentially do is kind of with like a light version, or they wanted to release the experimental version, something similar to what um, what Red Hat is doing. You know, and get sort of feedback and testing that way. They might be able to make money out of it. But a sort of way that you know, like the approach that sort of like MySQL took doesn't seem to work. I mean, you know, the MySQL, um, from my understanding, didn't really make enough money, and that's why they got bought up by Sun. All they could really do was become an expensive lunch. Yeah, I think in some respects, open source work, will work well fine that way if your idea is, okay, we want to gain market share. Yeah, we don't know how we're going to make money out of it. We just want to gain, gain like a large market share and either become like an expensive lunch for an acquisition by a larger corporate or, you know, or, or try and work out later how to make money, you know, sort of similar to the Facebook and, and the Google approach. But that doesn't... You know, so there's, there's no sort of really, to my mind, a sustainable model behind that. I think that's the key thing. You know, Red Hat really has worked out how to how to sort of make money out of open source because before they they bought in Fedora, I think they were you know they were struggling a bit, and since they've done that approach of having an experimental version, um, which they provide rather than providing the the enterprise version free for download, you know, the the really the financial fortunes have changed quite a bit. And recently they bought JBoss. You know, and JBoss is another example of a open source application where the version that you could download was exactly the same as the enterprise version that they provided. And they also never really made a lot of money. Eventually they just got bought out by Red Hat. And now Red Hat has taken the same approach where they're going to have an experimental version available you know, freely on the project site. But the commercial version you know, where you buy a subscription or support subscription for it and that sort of bundles everything together so the APIs all work, all the different libraries work together, you don't have to spend like hours of time trying to, I'm a Java app programmer as well, you know, you might spend hours trying to sort out what version of the Java files you need and what works with what and all of that kind of stuff um, you know, so that, that's what they're going to be doing with that and I think that's the, you know, the, the only open source model uh, I've seen so far where it's caught your business, it actually seems to work but on the other side of it, Mark, I also feel that uh, with an open source product, if you open source your code, you can actually reduce your uh, research and development costs and speed up the, you know, speed up the delivery of your new products because you have a whole community of people helping you improve your product, beta test it, and so on. If you keep it totally closed source, and at my company we have chosen to do that, we layer on top of a Linux distro, but we have closed co- code. So then we only have limited bandwidth in order to to bring the new features out to the, and keep our our software you know on leading edge. But we like I say, it it all relies on the shoulders of two or three developers instead of the whole community. And like you know, even because our product is Linux based, we still have a, a flavor of that because when I put it out there, you know, my partners are trying different things and doing different uh, setups with their product. So I, I think. There is that side to it. It is a kind of a paradox, but... I would agree. I think the key thing is, you know, you want to get that sweet spot where you can release enough of it that, uh, you know, you can you can get people to use it and a lot of small corporates and individuals, you know, can use it without any restrictions on their use of it. But at the same time, there's something which will sort of compel larger corporates or people who have the money to actually come through to you to get the support. And, and also, you know, you want to be able to be in a position where they want to get that support from you. And not necessarily from from somebody else, you know. Um, I think that's what's that's a key conundrum for all businesses that are trying to figure out how to to use open source and also use it in a way which isn't like a mercenary way, but which is true to the principles and philosophy behind open source as well, which is what we discussed earlier. Okay, well, I think 
you know, I guess you mentioned there was companies that had started out with uh, open source, but then they've clearly, you know, they've used open source technology to become very successful. People like Google, PayPal, Amazon, uh, you know, even Yahoo Maps, they, they were created by open source developers. They run on an open source platform, but they are very proprietary. Their source code is not distributed. And for them, the value is in their data and not just in the code. They're just using it to get, you know, to get the the numbers in terms of the large number of people that go to those sites and make money revenue off of advertising and that kind of stuff, you know. So I mean, yeah, those guys. That's another, I suppose, another kind of business model where you're actually just using open source as core to your business, and, and then I can, you know, I can understand. I mean, we use tons of open source products in our company. I mean, all of our products, or all of our, server, our machines and systems are based on open source products. You know, if we had to pay commercially for those things, we we wouldn't be able to afford them. But, you know, because open source, we can. And I think, you know, we, that enables us to provide services to our customers. So open source, I think, definitely you can make money out of it if you're somebody that's using it like we are to sell services and solutions on top of it. But it's, you know, how do you ensure that the companies actually – because a lot of these open source projects, some of them have corporate sponsors behind them as such, you know, the big the big successful ones. And how does that mm-hmm. big corporate sponsor make money out of the, out of the project, you know? But I think we talked, though, that these big corporate sponsors, there's something in it for them in the end to have that, that product or develop. There's something for them in the end. Like, they wouldn't go into that just on a philanthropy approach, right? It's something they can take that project and bring it into their, their core suite of whatever they're working on. Look, one thing you were talking about, Darlene, is the benefits for around you know using open source. And I definitely think if you're a company, you can use and you can get it right where you can sort of keep some commercial value with the company. I mean, definitely you can use it as a way to gain market share, to train, um, to get a whole bunch of um, developers and or users trained up on how the product is used. You know, and all that kind of stuff is very important for adoption, especially in the, in the business world. You know, they want to know there is support available. They want to know that their users know how to use and familiar with this kind of product. You know, so I think it's, it definitely is a way that you can propel your business. Like, if you take Asterix, for example, and if Asterix had been a closed source um, system, it would never be as widely successful as it is today. Um, so those guys used open source cleverly to in, in, in their business model. And actually, what I what I wanted to say though, Mark, was that even though we 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 layer on top of an open source product and we do have closed source code, closed source code, our our employees contribute back to the community at large. For an example, one of my coworkers, he spends a lot of time developing printer drivers uh, for the Cups project for for a wide range of printers because I know that our struggle is that you know outside the HP uh, printer line there's really limited printer support for uh, for Linux so even though we are using but we are also contributing back in different manner as well yeah, I think that's a common kind of model of a lot of companies as well you know um, where they contribute uh, I, I think that's a big benefit of, of, the, of the social aspect of, of open source software you know everybody contributes back to making this product better which then benefits everybody else you know so that's a uh, I think a lot of guys do it that way. I mean, we do as well. Even if it's just us contributing in terms of bug reports, uh, small patches and bug fixes and that kind of stuff, a lot of open source projects. And, you know, mm-hmm. just, to, just to sort of say as well, it's not like, I mean, although we talk mainly about open source projects, big corporate backers behind them, there are another model for open source. It's just a purely community-driven model, such as Joomla or Drupal. I mean, those projects are basically driven by large communities of users behind them. And essentially, the way those models work is that the people contributing to, to the project make money by selling services on top of that. Um, and that's probably one of the best sustainable models out there. 
and um, because there's thousands of, of guys making money out of it, is you know a couple of hundred developers contributing back. So you're not under threat of you know let's say you had people soft in your company and they get bought up by Oracle and then you're forced now to move over to the Oracle stack. Or you know if you're a company like let's say you know Sun's been bought by Oracle now, we're all left wondering what's going to happen to Java, you know what's going to happen to VirtualBox, what's going to happen to MySQL. Okay, I mean because it's open source, you can at least take that code base and you can start a community project around it, which is one of the benefits of open source. But you know you're still left sort of with a lot of uncertainty and doubt around those things. So I think you know, that's right. that is one model that it does work as well. All right. Well, I think that's about all I have to contribute today, Mark. What's about you? Yeah, I think you know that's that's all I have. Well, I'm just trying to sort of think if I've got anything else else because it's quite a broad topic. You know, there's a lot to discuss and a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things which you know you can sit with your mates at the bar and chat about for hours. <laughs> you know, and as you talk, yeah. you sort of discover more things to to think about and to consider and how you can you know use this in your business model. Um, but yeah, if I think I, we, I also. Sorry, Mark. I just also, you know, I was just thinking about the fellows at, at Canonical, you know, because if they're so, you know, some of them are pretty hardcore in the open source community, but yet, you know, they provide an external sort, uh, you know, external revenue stream for for Ubuntu, right, through Canonical, and you know, I think that's a good example of maybe how you can, you know, survive in an open source model. Yeah, yeah. I, I, firstly, I'm not sure whether Canonical is a great example because. I think they're struggling to to make money. And if it wasn't for the philanthropic mm-hmm. endeavors of Mark Shuttleworth, I, I think they'd have been mm-hmm. out of business a while ago. Yeah, and basically, this is a classic case. They're struggling to find a way to make money out of the open source model. Um, you know, and eventually they're going to have to go the way of Red Hat, where they keep something behind. Or maybe they'll come up with the innovative, you know, solution talking with the hardware vendors, you know, around bundling bundling it with the laptops or the desktops that come out and all of that, especially around these netbooks, you know, potentially there can be yeah. revenue around that. But, yeah, it is, you know, for me, every time I hear about Canonical's financial situation and they say they're breaking even, you know, if you were t- looking at it purely from a business point of view, I don't think it would be yeah. worth the investment, um, you know, if you're just going to, as I say, look at it from a, from a profit percentage point of view. So, yeah, let's, Canonical be great to see how they evolve and see if they can also help us evolve our understanding of open source business models. Because mm-hmm. I know they really they really um, promote the training side of what they do as well. Because uh, I was looking at some certification on Ubuntu, and um, yeah, they were very aggressive in the marketing of the training solutions that they provide. Yeah, I think that's a traditional kind of approach to get the training thing, you know. And uh, a key, a key, what I think is key with all of this, okay, is that the the companies that sponsor these projects build up enough of a brand name and brand image that people find it worthwhile to buy services from them rather than say coming to you know to my company and say, Oh look, we don't want to go to Red Hat and pay them a subscription, we'd rather use CentOS and you know phone you whenever there's a problem. Um, and due to the stability mm-hmm. of Linux you hardly ever get phoned. But you know, that's the sort of you know the issue that, that you have to deal with. So yeah, I think one of the key things I suppose around open source is to also build your brand and build your you know brand recognition around your product. So people come to you rather than just going anywhere else to to get support for for that project or product that they're using. And I think you know I know I talk about Ubuntu lots, but I did also discuss Fedora. But you can tell which uh, flavor that I've worked with and I prefer. But I know with Ubuntu, like just the way they make it so much easier for non-techy, non-Linux people that aren't. Uh, immersed in open source to install their product you know it's with a CD you don't have to compile anything it's you know it does all the 
the partitioning of your hard drive for you and everything, you know, and it's just a much easier way to, to get introduced to the product and to start to learn it. So again, they're grabbing Mindshare there, right? And uh, and they work with third-party um, vendors, you know, like our stuff is in their repository. It makes it much easier for us to promote it as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're really quite smart around using open source in terms of getting the whole Mindshare. I mean, they basically came from zero to dominate the the whole Linux distribution market, um, you know, it's in a short space of time, um, providing all mm-hmm. those things which you've, you've mentioned. But, uh, you know, I think in conclusion for me, um, you know, if you're going to have a run a business based on open source and it's not just something which is providing support of third party, um, you know, products and services, and by that I mean, like, you know, you could be provide, people can provide support for Microsoft Exchange, they, they don't owe Microsoft Exchange any money, or Microsoft any money, but Microsoft makes money by selling Exchange. So, you know, I'm talking about the companies that will be behind the actual products themselves. You have to have something of value that you retain back. Now, I think that's what you need to always do when you start a business, you decide to open source your core software product. It's like, okay, what is it of value that we have, whether it's your brand name, your support network, you know, it might be something like your ability to distribute or handle calls, you know, support calls 24 hours a day and provide, you know, response times that are immediate and all that kind of stuff, you know. So you've got to build something core that you have. And it's, I suppose it's the same thing with any business, really. You know, what is your competitive advantage of others in the marketplace? Um, and I think that's what people have to have to consider when they open source their, their products. All right, Mark. So my, in conclusion, I also have to agree with you about holding back a part of your core services because, again, from a North American point of view, business is there to, you know, break even. You know, like I know even know with our, with our tax, you know, with Revenue Canada, if they see you only re- breaking even or not making any profit in five years, then they start to question the fidelity of your business um, approach. <laughs> so... And, uh, you know, how how long can you be in philanthropy versus business, right? So uh, I, I agree that with the open source, there's many benefits. Like, I think the ring benefits around that core product can be realized for the open source community. And uh, just, you know, we are in a new age of business development these days with the economic crunch and having to look at uh, maybe the traditional business model isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah, I'd agree. Until the rules of the game change, and maybe you know, given the current economic crisis, they might change. <laughs> yeah, but uh, until people consider things other than just the profit motive and, and business, um, yeah, as, you know, as you say, you need to make money to survive and and um, continue to actually fund and produce the the, the and the project. So I mean, if you want further development on it and you want it to move ahead, you actually need to make to make money out of it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Darlene, right. for for joining me. I think that's a wrap. Uh, I'm not quite sure what our next episode will be, um, but I'm sure we'll think of something. And we'd like to thank all our listeners for listening to another episode. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.